Hey, welcome back to another episode of Salty Saints Podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Randy. And Zach, let me introduce a friend of mine, an old friend of mine to you. Absolutely. Bill Kidwell. Bill, when did we first meet? I would say about 1992. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, 100 years ago. Yeah, it was. It was last century. <laughs> <laughs> I am really excited to hear from you, Bill. Um We've uh, we've got some pretty interesting topics in mind today. Uh, just really to hear your faith story, most of all, but that uh, you are a missionary to the Slavic people, as you said. Um, and so, with all of the stuff going on with Russia and Ukraine today, um, we we just do want to be sensitive <clears throat> to that. And so, if we get to a question where you're uncomfortable or something, uh, answering that, just let us know, and we'll glaze over that and move on to the next thing. Does that sound good? That sounds good. Okay. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. We want to just make sure that you are uh, you stay true to, to everybody and, and love people, you know? So. Amen. Cool. Um, so getting started, you want to tell us just about yourself, who you are, how you got started as a missionary in this field? Well, um, I am an older person. I'm a senior citizen for sure. So um, uh, I'll just, I'll not go all the way back. I'll just go back far enough that uh, we can pick up the the interest in the Slavic peoples. And, um, uh, of course, I was born and raised right here in Indiana. I'm a Hoosier okay. uh, down in the southern part of the state. Where at? A little town called Shoals, Indiana. Oh, no. I'm from Seymour. That's oh, come on. No way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know where Shoals is. Huh? I don't know where you Shoals don't, is. Well, where Shoals? Nobody else does either. Okay. <laughs> My family's from Brownstown. Well, this is in Martin County, so you have to go south from you south and west. Okay, okay, yeah. So I gotcha. south directly south of Bedford. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Uh, Mitchell. Yep. Uh, got it. Then keep coming west. Got yeah. it. Got it. All right. Yeah. My wife is from Lagodi, which is uh, also in Martin County, yeah. more to the west toward Washington. Okay. As we say here in Indiana, Washington. 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 Right. Yeah. Washington. We were talking about that the other day. Yeah, washing our clothes. <laughs> We put an R in a word where there is no R. <laughs> yeah, so so I grew up there. Um, uh, I come from a long uh, line of uh, on my mother's side of preachers. Um, my mother uh, married a Catholic, so I was raised as a Catholic, uh, except for the first few years of my life in in the Methodist Church, um, and then. Um, I joined the Air Force. I went one year to Vincennes University. uh, uh, um, So I was born in 1947, so that gives you some idea. Um, So I am a baby boomer for sure. Uh, (laughs) My my whole life has been, uh, seems like, uh, Russia, Russia, and Russia, and Ukraine, the Slavic people. Uh, um, So when I went to to uh, Vincent University, uh, the Vietnam was, War was getting ready to fire up. I graduated in 1965. Uh, I joined the Air Force in 1966. Went one year to college and just didn't wasn't motivated really. And uh, so I said, well, uh, since the war is going on, I could be drafted. Uh, I'm just going to join the Air Force. I'd taken a test by the Air Force uh, back when I was a junior in high school. And I guess I did pretty well. So um, when I went to the uh, recruiting office, uh, the um, recruiter said, 
Well, I'm looking at your scores. You you're, you qualify to go, you know, whatever career field you want to go into after you go to basic training. So um, I said, okay, I'll go into electronics. That was the up-and-coming uh, field. And um, so I got down to basic training, and, and they said, uh, okay, you guys, uh, after about three weeks, they said, okay, you guys that came down here under the electronics program, um, you could take a uh, language aptitude test, and you might be selected for a language school. And I said, oh, okay, why not? So I took it, and uh, I passed it. And so uh, everybody was getting their orders as to, okay, you're going to go to this kind of school, you're going to go to this tech school, you're going to go to that, you're going to be this, you're going to be that. I get mine, Syracuse University, Russian language intensive <laughs> program. <laughs> So at the age of 19, I take off. Uh, it was a nine-month program, two full semesters. Um, now, now for context, uh, w- what I was told when I was in OMS as a missionary was that Russian is the language of heaven because, yeah, because it takes an eternity to learn to it. To learn it. That is correct, yes. Yeah, I'm still learning it. Um, so, so I, I, it was a, it was a full intensive. All of our, all of our professors were uh, themselves PhDs of some uh, within the the uh, language of Russian and history. They most of them had immigrated to the United States back during the uh, 30s during the Poland, uh, the Stalin purges, and uh, so they were really old. You know, like <laughs> sixty or seventy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That well, to a nineteen-year-old kid, that's oh, yeah, old. That okay, is, that is. So anyway, uh, and we only had one class during the day. Uh, we had six hours, six six periods, six fifty-minute periods with ten minutes, and then a, a lunch break, and wow. uh, six hours a day, five days a week for nine months. Wow. Yeah, and. Um, just studying Russian? Just only Russian. Just <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> and we we lived in, in our OK Barracks is right there at Syracuse University. We had our own little uh, detachment up on okay. Skytop, they called it. That's where I learned to snow ski. Anyway, in at Syracuse, New York. I mean, come on. I mean, they get oh, yeah. snow. You know? Oh, yeah. So um, I, um, I, I, I actually struggled the first, the first semester uh, with, with the language. Uh, it, was di- it was difficult, very difficult. Uh, we uh, typically, not only uh, six hours a day, only one class during the day was in English, and that was the grammar class. And to be honest, that's where I really learned English grammar. <laughs> <laughs> I get so that. that's what a participle is. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I'm uh, studying Greek with Randy right now, and what I'm really learning is that I don't English. know English. Well, <laughs> Greek and Greek and um, Russian uh, and and Ukrainian, uh, the Slavic languages have a lot of participles. Yeah, they use a lot yeah. of participles. Uh, so, uh, past passive participles. You know, like okay, Randy. Uh, anyway. <laughs> I know. I, I know what that is. <laughs> I, I yeah, I do too now. <laughs> but um, so, and we had uh, our our professor uh, Strela Stravinskaya, and she was really one of those. Uh, she she was so good. She she really taught us the grammar really well. Excellent. And uh, and then we had 
We had another course that was in, since we were in the military, uh, we were going to be working for the Department of Defense and Intelligence okay. area eventually, which I did. Um, but uh, she, we had another class called Vazduke Inazemlia, which means in the air and on the ground. And that's where we learned all the military terminology, hmm. all the, you know, bombs and planes and, you know, turning left, turning right, tanks and whatever. So we had to learn all that terminology. And then we had a, a, a um, composition class. We had a translation class, an uh, hour every day. We had a, a dialogue class. We had all kinds of stuff. And then on top of that, it was usually at least three to four hours of homework every night. Oh, my God. <laughs> <sighs> that was a sad few years for you, man. That was a... <laughs> well, nine months. Nine months. Wow. Yeah. But uh, we also had a class in music, and that was fun. And learning the old songs and hearing history and... Um, we focused mostly on grammar and comprehension and writing, reading, speaking, all of it. Okay. Yeah. So um, it was it was a twenty four semester hours you crammed into two semesters. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, it's on my transcript. Wow. wow. When I transferred to IU, when we got back and finished up my undergrad there, and then went on to Asbury Seminary. Okay. Um, but. Um, but then uh, once we finished that, we had more training. Um, uh, I'll get to the point where I became a Christian. I was, I was sort of a, I'd grown up in the church. I really wasn't uh, a committed, I was, I mean, just a all-American, red-blooded American kid, you know. I uh, didn't really, I wasn't, I don't say, well, I know now I was a really bad sinner, but I mean, then, I mean, I was just like, kind of like average guy, you know? And um, so uh, when I got into the Air Force and I went through the language program and then we did more training after that. So it was like almost a year and a half before I ever got to the field to actually do what I was supposed to okay. do. So, of course, the enlistment in the Air Force is a minimum of four years. Right. So they, they got at least two and a half years out of it. They were going to gotcha. get at least two and a half years. So the first semester was difficult, but uh, then about two weeks before the end of the first semester, the language and everything and the grammar, everything just kind of came together. It clicked. It clicked. And, and uh, I went from a... Um, C plus to a, a minus overnight, and uh, so I was thankful for that. Um, I fell in love with the Russian language. It's a very musical language. There are harsh aspects to it, some difficult pronunciations, but um, I dream it. I think it. Uh, I. I, I uh, so anyway, the Russian language just took over my mind. <laughs> It takes forever it. to learn it. it. Oh yeah. yeah. So anyway, I get to I get to, I get to Berlin, Germany as my first duty assignment. I get there in November of 1967, and in the um, in the um, summer, August 20th, 1968, uh, I worked a double shift that day. Uh, we we intercepted Russian military signals from the Air Force, uh, Russian Air Force. 
And that was my job, was to collect this and to translate it and to provide information back to our Department of Defense, and some could even go higher, uh, so depending on the situation. And uh, I was there when, when the uh, Soviet Union and the Warsaw Pact countries invaded Czechoslovakia. Because they were flying right over the top of us. Because Berlin, you know, was sitting inside of East Germany. Right. You know, right. So, okay. Um, wow. Uh, it was it was a very interesting, um, very interesting time. Um, but about uh, about a year later is when I came to Christ. Um, I mean, I knew a lot about religion. I knew a lot about celebrations and stuff like that. Uh, I was an altar boy for 10 years when I was in the, in the Catholic Church. Uh, there were times, even when I was younger, that I did feel the touch. I didn't know what it was then, but I then recognized later that the Lord had touched my life several times. And, um, and so I was getting ready to get married, my, my sweet wife now of uh, 52 and a half years. <laughs> That's hard to believe. That's pretty I'm good. not that old. I mean, a, I'm only what twelve for a woman that's had, only thirty four to be married right. for fifty two I mean, years. I mean, that's we, incredible. You know, people look at us and they say, "Well, I was twelve and she was nine. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she's been a wonderful, wonderful person in my life. Uh, besides being my wife, um, so she's eighteen. She flies over to Germany. We get married over there. Wow. About three uh, weeks before, I was in um, January, or excuse me, September. It was January. I proposed to her. In September, she came over, 69, and we got married in Berlin. I'm double hooked, by the way. I got married twice, three days apart. Yeah. I tell people it didn't work the first time, so I'd do it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, what it was, the law was in Germany, is that you had to get married in the German civil court first. Uh, okay. Yep. And then three days later, we got married by the chapel. In the church. By oh, the chapel. Okay. okay. <laughs> one for the state, one for God, right? That's right. right. Exactly right. 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 All three of our children were born there in Germany. Um, um, but about three, maybe four weeks before Nancy came over to for us to get married, um, I began to reevaluate my life. I began to think, you know, what kind of a father am I going to be? What kind of a husband am I going to be? You know, I had, you know, I, I'm being honest. I mean, I had fallen into the same trap that a lot of young soldiers overseas do, you know, going to the bars and doing this and that and things I shouldn't have done and my mom would be ashamed and uh, so whatever. Um, but I began to research and I began to think, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I ought to reevaluate here. And so during this process, I had already rented a, an apartment off post so that I could have a place for Nancy and me to live. And, uh, and so I was, I was reading some different books, believe it or not. I mean, I'm really confessing here, guys. I mean, I was reading like ESP and telepathy. And, uh, <laughs> and then um, I, I thought to myself, well, you know, if I'm going to be honest here, at least I should try to read the Bible or something. Now, in those years, in those years, most Roman Catholics, I'm sure it's changed quite a bit now. And there, I know there were some then. 
uh, didn't really read uh, the Bible much. Um, and, and so, but I had a friend, a, a roommate, that, that uh, he and I went to language school together, and we went to, to Berlin together, and his mother had sent him a little New Testament, a Gideon New Testament. Oh, wow. In, in, in one of the little care packages that he got mm-hmm. for Christmas. And so I went to him and I said, hey, you still got that little New Testament your mom sent you? He said, I don't know. What do you want it for? I said, I don't know. I thought I might look at it, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I give it a peek. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so we work shift work. So a lot of times I get home at like 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, and I didn't want to go to sleep right away. I couldn't go to sleep because I had to go to work at 3 o'clock the next day and work on 3 to 11 shift. So, so I said, okay, um, I'll, uh, uh, so I was reading a little bit here and a little bit there, and find, by the time I read through the four Gospels, I said, hmm, either, uh, either this is a bunch of uh, garbage or I'm a really bad sinner. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, obviously, I chose the second one. <laughs> And I, it, I wasn't at a brush harbor. I wasn't at a church. It wasn't an altar call. There wasn't music playing. The past, there was no pastor. There was no teacher. There was no one preaching. But there was this one guy who was an, a Christian in my unit who came up to me, and he kept witnessing to me a little bit. And and he he was talking to me and quoting a few scriptures here and there. So I was kind of halfway paying attention to it. But all of a sudden, after I read the four Gospels, I said, you know, I think I need to make a change here. And at work one night, it was like 2 a.m., nobody was around me where we worked in my little unit. You know, there really wasn't a lot of people around. And mm-hmm. Some mm-hmm. of them were over here talking. Some of them were half asleep. Some of them were drinking coffee, you know, while they're just trying to stay awake. And and I just kind of leaned up against the, kind of one of our machines there, and I I just kind of looked up, and it was a, we didn't have windows in this building because it was all top secret security. And so I'm just kind of looking up at the ceiling, and I just said, Lord, if you're really there, and if what's true is what's written here, please come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. And I said something else. I said, Lord, please change me. And I felt the power of God. Of course, I didn't know what it was then, okay? I'm, I'm kind of reflecting back. I felt this, like, clean but not cold water just pouring all over me. And I felt like I was, like, standing a foot off the ground. And I felt this heavy load. I'd never read Pilgrim's Progress. I didn't know about that. <laughs> so it, like, this big 50-pound load just fell off my shoulders. And um, to just, I don't know, just it's one of those experiences where you, you think it happened like, and then it seemed like it lasted forever. That's a God thing. That is so cool. Yeah. And, and it was interesting. Now, Nancy hadn't gotten there yet, but um, she was really praying for me because she knew I was a mess. But she loved me anyway. God told her to marry me. Uh, that's another story. I'll now she was already a Christian then. Oh yeah, she was. Okay. Yeah, she was. She was uh, died in the wool Catholic. She went all the way, twelve years parochial school. But she told me her story about how 
when she was practicing for First Communion, how that she accepted the Lord in her heart. She says, I can't take this until I've accepted Christ, the repentant next Christ. And she was six years old when she wow. did that. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. That's great. She's, she's a... She's she is a, a neat lady. Yeah. She is wonderful. Um, but the Lord... Um, I guess began changing me. I didn't really realize it until about three weeks later. I mean, Nancy hadn't gotten there yet, but my, my old buddies that I used to go out with, they'd say, well, don't you want to go out with us? And I said, no, I just, I just don't think I want to. They said, well, what's wrong with you? He said, you <laughs> said, you're just not the same person. You, something's changed in you. What's going on? I said, and then I just got like chills went down my back, like, Oh, do 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 do. <laughs> like, okay, okay, and it's kind of, and I started sweating and everything. Like, okay, Lord, you did answer my Flashback prayer. Flashback to that prayer, like, please change me. and and then it really hit me, and then I really repented. <laughs> <laughs> I think the first time was kind of like conviction, repent. This one was like deep repent. <laughs> <laughs> Repentance light. Well, wow. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I know I've talked a lot about that, but... Uh, oh, that's have, definitely worth it, though. I that haven't so cool. spoken a lot about... But that's how my career in, in our calling. Actually, about a year later is when the calling came. Okay. Uh, we were in... And, and I know, and I'm going to be very vivid here. Um, not everyone, you know, God speaks to and calls people in different ways. Um, and I guess I'm thankful to it in a way that the Lord has spoken to me with visions and dreams. Okay. I know he doesn't do that for everybody. I mean, I guess he has to really get my attention. I'm so <laughs> hard-headed. He has to make it really, really Vivid, okay. You're speaking to me. I, I, I will, I will uh, testify that I have had one dream that I know for a fact was from God. Only one ever, but He had to shake me awake, man, well, because see, I that, just wasn't listening it. back that's, then. That's all I can tell people. Right? They said, "Well, people, that's very rare for God to do that." Well, I'm a rare dude. I mean, God had to really. I mean, He had to take a. Not a two before, but a four by four <laughs> to hit me across yeah. the head. And so um, uh, the first the first time uh, it was a vision, and he showed we were in a prayer meeting. At the end of the prayer meeting, we were we were praying for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit and just totally dedicated. And I, that's where I was. I, I said, Lord, I just want to totally sell out. I just, you know, it was one of those second works of grace kind of things mm -hmm. that. I, I didn't know that's what it meant. I mean, I was only a Christian for six months, maybe three months. Oh, I'd been a Christian three months. I didn't know all this terminology like, you know, born again and sanctification and all that. I didn't know all that jargon. I mean, uh, whatever the Bible said, I was, what the, the New, New Testament was telling me and the, the, the Lord was telling me, I just did it. You know, that was it, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't know I was maybe going against some kind of doctrinal rule or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> like I was like this was abnormal or something. 
I mean, to me, it was normal. And so uh, the Lord showed me a vision of himself first in heaven. I, and I'd never read the book of Revelation yet, but I saw the rainbow. And I saw wow. the emerald throne. It was, it was amazing. When, I, when I'm telling you right now, I see it. Every time I retell the story, I see it. Uh, I mean, you, you know when it's, if it's God, if you remember all the details yeah. and you still see it in your mind. And so I, I saw this, and then I saw myself kind of like behind this church building. It was in the, in the military over in Germany and many other places, I'm sure, at that time. In those years, every, every uh, Air Force base, every post had one or more chapels. And they were built, you know, typical kind of structure of a building with high, you know, gables way up, you know, in the eaves and so on and so forth. And I was hovering outside of this chapel, and then there was kind of like up in the peak there, there was like a porthole, a spiritual porthole just kind of opened up like this. And I'm looking through, and then all of a sudden I'm inside, and I'm up on the balcony I mean, I could see all the detail of the church and the altar in the back and two pulpits and and the, the pews and, and maybe 20, 30 people sitting in the right-hand side, and there was a little pulpit there, and there was a man standing behind that pulpit. And all of a sudden, it just zoomed in, and it was kind of fuzzy, and then when it, when it focused, it was me. I was standing there preaching to these people. Hmm. Two years later, I became the pastor of that small group in that ferry. <laughs> it, it was not in Berlin. It was in a totally different city in western okay. Germany. Okay. But the Lord had shown me almost two years ahead of time that's where I was going to be. Wow. And I pastored that church for about... Now, were you still in the Air Force at that yeah, time? Yeah, yeah. Okay. We had, at that time, there were different denominations like Baptist Union, there was the some Presbyterians, a few Methodists, the Church of God. I was part of the Church of God at that time, okay. and uh, that was a fellowship group that I was that I was became a Christian through and grew and became called uh, in in Berlin. And so when I went there, uh, this was actually about this place, is where this chapel was, was about sixty miles from where. Um, uh, I was stationed, I was sent to another duty station on the Czech border. And we had to drive to a couple of other places near Nuremberg, south of there. Yeah. We had to, to drive to get to the commissary, the PX, to buy stuff. Yeah. So about once a month, we would take a trip over there. Well, we went over there one day, and we were sitting there in the cafeteria, and there's this young, young couple. Now we were young. <laughs> 20s. <laughs> young 20s, and we had a little baby, two babies, okay. and they had a little baby, and they invited us over to their table because Nancy and I were sitting there talking about the Lord about something, and they said, uh, we heard you talking about the Lord. And, and so anyway, long story short, they went to this fellowship group, and they had been without a uh, fellowship leader, a pastor, for six months, and they invited us to come over just to be with them. And when we, I walked into that chapel and I looked around, I said, <laughs> do, 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 <laughs> deja vu. Yeah, I, this was it. 
It was exactly that wow. exact H- Had spot. it sunk in until that point, though? Or had, <laughs> like, okay. No, for, as soon as I walked in, I knew that was it. Right, but I'm saying, like, the time before that, though, had you kind of gone, like, you know, like, was yeah. that was that how that was going to play well, out? Or No, you got it. Well, first of all, my full-time job was I was a Russian linguist for the military, and I had a full-time Air Force job, and I had two small children and a wife. I mean, I was pretty <laughs> – I had my plate was pretty You don't full. exactly have spare time, right? Exactly. Right. So, um, so, so for all – but then uh, right before but, – but even before that, the Lord – again, I was at this place back when I first prayed – for the Lord and I to come into my heart and forgive my sins, and I felt that power of the Lord come upon me. I was standing in that same spot about a year later. Now, here's the second part. I felt a hand on my shoulder behind me, and it was like my eyes, like, like a mist went over my, my eyes. Not totally. I could still kind of see a little bit. And then my hearing just went, and it was like silence. And the Lord said, someday I'm going to send you to Russia as a missionary. <laughs> Literally. And he repeated it two more times. Someday I'm going to send you to Russia as a missionary. Someday I'm going to send you to Russia as a missionary. And then my vision comes all the way back. (laughs) (laughs) Everything back to normal. I'm looking around. I said, what's going on? (laughs) I mean, I don't think you can get much more specific than that and more definite than that. And that started a long process of, of course, I said, yeah, Lord. I mean, here, I got a top secret, <laughs> secret crypto clearance. If I tell this to my commanding officer or to even to my buddies, I'm going to be kicked out of the Air Force. I might be going to jail. If you're not shot. <laughs> my, yeah, like, like, Lord. <laughs> wow. And then I reenlisted. Our, uh, our uh, firstborn son was premature, and I had to stay over a little bit longer, and there was a uh, a place that needed a, a pastor, uh, again, similar. This was before this other. Um, and so I pastored a church in Darmstadt. It was a small fellowship group, 25, 30 people. Um, so I was an itinerant missionary. Okay, yeah, before, already. Uh, and, uh, and a, and a uh, um, Trailblazer, well, you know, kind of like a John Wesley kind of, you know, on the on, on a set my horse. I was I was a circuit <laughs> rider because uh, when the place I, I started pastoring two places. Then when I got down to the oh, other place, wow. the one where I went to, there was a second one, so I was doing two. And so we get back to Maryland to uh, NSA headquarters. It was my last duty station, nineteen seventy three to seventy four. Um, I was ready to re-enlist again. We were sitting in a, in a church service. We went to a church, and it was a very dynamic church, and and the, and I was I was ready to sign up and re-enlist again for the second time. So I'd been in almost eight years, 
And I loved what I did. It was a great thing. But the Lord said, I want you to go home. I want, I'm going to take care of you. So I come back to Indiana. I'm past, and within two months, I'm pastoring four Methodist churches. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Hey, and Bill, I do just want to... I know. Well, well, no, it's it's about one, and I know you said you okay. had to get out of here It's okay if I, go, if I go a little bit more. Okay, so okay, just making sure. I know we haven't really talked, so I could say a whole lot more about that, but I'll, I'll just say that finally in 1993, uh, we got on that big silver bird through OMS. Um, uh, we were not commissioned. We were career missionaries. Okay. We were sent to Moscow by OMS uh, in November of 1993. November, 30 <laughs> below zero and three feet of snow. I think Jason's got a story about jumping off of a, a plane into Russia in, in the middle of the snow yeah, as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just snow, a common denominator in Russia, like that happened a lot. <laughs> so OMS had given me three hats to wear when I got there, three assignments. One was to... Um, uh, if if called to assist in the seminary, the Moscow okay. Seminary, uh, I was to be the liaison uh, officer for OMS to the seminary, back to OMS, and also to um, uh, work with possibly uh, organizing a denomination. Back then, that was right. our that was right. our approach was to start a do- denomination. Uh, uh, or an association that would become um, related and connected mm-hmm. to OMS, which I did. Um, I did plant a church uh, with with God's help and with and um, my wife, of course, in a Zelenograd, which was just outside okay. of Moscow, and that was in '94. Um, then we uh, helped to organize a. By 1998, we had organized the. Uh, an association. I'm not going to mention the name of right. it right now. It has changed, but I won't remember that. Uh, or I won't mention that either. Started out with seven churches. Now they have around 22 churches. Okay. So uh, to a degree, I bring it up to present time. Uh, there was a, a, a sort of a disconnect there for a few years from 2016 till just last year uh, when the uh, uh, leader of that uh, organization contacted me, uh, still connected with the seminary, still mm-hmm. connected with OMS, and asked me to help them, he, uh, help him and other pastors to um, do the train and multiply launch. Okay. And and actually uh, to bring it up. To, now explain what train and multiply is. Oh my, well of course if you're going to if you're going to multiply anything. If you're going to increase, even say McDonald's or any other organization, you have to have leaders. Right. And the best way to to start something new is to to have leaders that can take on that responsibility. And so you train so that you can multiply churches, multiply right. disciples, multiply churches. So it is a church multiplication tool. It's a tool. It's a three-day seminar uh, with about 12 different sessions, each session about an hour and a half. Um, We took that to Ukraine in uh, 2017. It was our first launch, you know, help them to launch a new work. Now, in many cases, uh, in other uh, fields of OMS, 
uh, train and multiply has been going on for decades. Yeah. This was totally brand new for Europe in a, in a way, totally brand new for, uh, for Ukraine. Uh, Europe as a whole up until most recently uh, has been pretty hard to, to bring the evangelical gospel to, to those people and for them to grasp it and use it. But um, <clears throat> the Lord had many years ago, actually in the early 2000s, had gotten me in contact with a couple of pastors uh, in uh, the city of Zhitomer, which is about um, about 100 miles west, slightly southwest of uh, the capital of Kiev. And by the way, uh, just, just for everyone's information, don't want to get off track too much, uh, just for perspective, the country of Ukraine is just slightly smaller than the state of Texas. Okay, the okay. land mass. The land mass. That's pretty size, good size then. It's very big, actually, except for if you do not count the western or the east, what is called the European part of Russia, which is anything west of the Ural Mountains uh, toward the west and north and south. If you don't count that part as, because that part is called Europe. Because the, the continental gotcha. divide mm -hmm. is right there at the Ural Mountains. So it's uh, probably about 500 miles west, uh, east of Moscow, the Ural Mountains start. Okay. So if you use that as a as a line, if you don't count the Russia-European part, uh, Ukraine is the largest hmm. of all Europe, including Western Europe, larger than France, well, larger than Germany, I larger not know than that. Spain. Most people don't yeah. because it's never really been counted as part of Europe because it was, yes, it was called Eastern Europe, but it had always been a part of either Russia before or the Soviet Union. So we kind of, that was the line of demarcation. I mean, okay. it kind of, and, and so anything uh, outside of the Soviet Union was considered Europe, okay. although you, it, we still called it Eastern Europe, we still called Poland and all those, but we never really calculated them in. It was sort of a psychological, to me, I think it's a psychological block mm. where we've just always seen that as, well, the Iron Curtain's there, you know, right, blah, 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 right, right, right. and so we didn't really think about it. So, but now that's why, and they have, they have 44 million people. Which I understand is about the size of California. I well, think. I know that Texas has, I think, what, almost 30 million. They have 44, 44 million, I'm sorry. So it's half again, half again the population of Texas. Of, uh, Texas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 44 million, right. Now, even before the war began in um, the 24th of uh, February, um, there were already... Uh, two million Ukrainians living in Poland, not counting okay. uh, where they may have been living elsewhere in Italy or France or not as refugees, just immigrants. not just they yeah. they moved there, they lived there, they worked there. The economy was pretty pretty difficult, um, 
And also this this whole this whole name called the Don Boss. Do you want know mm-hmm. Does anybody know what the Don Boss means? No. Well, I'm going to tell you. Are you talking like <laughs> mafia? Like Don? <laughs> that's, that's what it sounds like. Uh, I know, I know. Uh, the Dons, you know. Right, right. <laughs> but anyway, Don Boss. Uh, and, and they keep referring to this on the news, but and, and they talk about uh, Donetsk and Luhansk. Um, well, if you, uh, well, I have a little map here. You can see the yellow and the blue. Right. Those are the two, those are the two regions. They don't, we mm. would call them states, but they're not really as large as our states. Okay. For instance, um, the Zhitoma region, if you look at the brown up here where, uh, where it says Bill and Nancy and, and all gotcha. that, that's, yeah. that, that region is about the size of Vermont. Okay. So it gives you a perspective. So if you have a bunch of Vermont, Vermonts, they got 26 of them. <laughs> okay. And um, so what is the Don Boss? The Donbass, if you'll look, there is a river that runs uh, through, uh, starting with, with the yellow top, middle of the top middle, mm-hmm. and runs and goes on into Russia. That is the Don River. And if you look down, and it loops around, and if you look right here, you'll see the Don River here. So... Bas is the short term for basin or bas- basin. So it's the Don River Basin. Gotcha. Hmm. Gotcha. That's what the Don Bas is. Okay. Now that area over there is rich, super rich in all kinds of uh, petroleum, coal, natural gas. And the primary the bulk of the original gas pipelines uh, that run to Europe run through those two places. Hmm. All right, so you can see why that area is so sought after. Desired. Is desired. (laughs) Also, if you you look way over to the west where you butt up uh, against uh, Poland and Slovakia, Romania. There's the Carpathian Mountains. They're about like the Appalachian Mountains here. Okay. Uh, right down there. But between, say, um, the Donbass area and mostly even down to the south, but almost all the way across, is kind of like going in and out of Kansas, Nebraska, um uh, some rolling hills like Kentucky, uh, but I've been told that, you know, this real black, rich soil that you find, yeah, yeah. you know, in, say, uh, some parts of Ohio through the central Indiana, you know, the corn belt. Right. And then you have the wheat belt. That is uh, this, as a matter of fact, the city. It's the bread basket. It is Ukraine has always been historically the breadbasket of the either the empire or the Soviet Union. As a matter of fact, I've been told, and you know people can check this if they want, but that the forty percent of the world's richest earth is located in Ukraine. Forty percent. Wow. That's what I heard. Now I, wow. I, I cannot 
check that. Maybe somebody who will listen to this will go, ah, can that be? Ah. Okay, so that's okay. They can look it up. Yeah. But I've been told, but at least a very large percent. So it is also desired because right now, up until recently, uh, in the recent years, Ukraine provides or has provided 30% of all of the grain that goes into Africa. That has been on the news. That's incredible. All right. So uh, it's a rich country. Now, let me tell you about the people. Now, I haven't been all over the world. I've been to a lot of places. I've been to Singapore. I've been to Korea. I've been to um, Haiti. Uh, uh, I've been all over Russia when we lived there in Moscow for six years. Uh, I traveled to to the far. I didn't go to the Far East, but I went to to Western Siberia. Uh, I've been to Volgograd, what which used to be called Stalingrad. Mm-hmm. The big and seen the big monuments of the Stalingrad uh, battle, uh, where nearly two million soldiers died, um, both sides together. Um, been to Saint Petersburg many times, Moscow. Of course, I lived there. Um, but I would say, of the people, and I've been to Germany, I've been to Spain. Uh, uh, lived in Germany many years, I would say that at least in the western, from from Kiev west, m- the people that I have met, they are probably closer, more like us in our values and our way of thinking hmm. than anyone else that I've seen. Hmm. They're gracious people. They're loving people. They, they are um, kind. They... Um, and very, very intelligent, and many of them are super educated. Um, I mean, the pastors I know, both of them have either bachelor's and or master's degrees, uh, yeah. seminary trained. I mean, the, the people are just so, so good. Um, the, all of them I've met have been to Odessa, where now hmm. they're facing problems. Beautiful city, wonderful people. Uh, they call it the city of humor. Humor? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that is the Ukrainian word, humor. Gorod <laughs> humor. They would say it. it's the city of humor. Humor. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Gotcha. <laughs> what, why do they call it that? Well, back, I guess, in the 16th, 17th century, they had a port there. And they had the the seafaring people from all over the world would come there, and they, they just developed this um, kind of a cosmopolitan international kind of thing, <laughs> and and just everybody had to get along. Yeah, they had French and Italian and Turkish and all these people, and this is what I've been told. Little you know. mini melting pot. Yeah, it. mini that's melting cool. pot. Yeah, there you go. It's a good, it's a good yeah. reference. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Russian people are also uh, good people, and that's one of the things I wanted to make a point: is that just like in the West and our even in our own country, um, the average person 
in America may or may not agree with what our higher politicians political doing. politicians yeah. are doing. And, and unfortunately, uh, I would, and I know this pretty, pretty well, that uh, many uh, and most maybe of the Russian people are not getting the full truth of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they would not approve of it. Well, I just kind of assume that's what happens when I turn on the news at any point in time here in America as well. So (laughs) I can't imagine it's much different anywhere else. Well, it's it's to a greater degree. I'm sure. Much more controlled. And and there is a slight, uh, there are periods of history in in Russian and Soviet history um, that have happened. People can look up uh, the, the great hunger, they call it. Uh, in 1930, the winter of 1932 and 33, when um, 3.6 to 3.7 million Ukrainians died from starvation. Whoa. So um, people can look that up and find out all the details uh, about that. So Ukraine, Belarus, uh, (laughs) Fiddler on the Roof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Also, the word itself, Ukraine, is made up of three parts. Yeah, the, the root word is cry. Um, and then you have the oo in the beginning. And then you have the ia, ina, at the end. Well, you have a prefix, you have a root, and then you have a feminine a name, noun, ending. So, ukraina. Okay, so cry means borderland or frontier. Mm-hmm. Ooh means at or on or of. And the ina is the just the feminine noun ending on it. And so um, Ukraine has always been the frontier. Okay. Uh, and to some degree, it was a place where you sent undesirables. Hmm. That the either the Russian Empire or the Soviet Union would would send. Uh, however, uh, Catherine the Great, I believe, um, I believe that's back two or three hundred years. <laughs> it's been a while. She actually brought in folks from um, what would be called um, um, Slovakia, Czech Republic. Um, and brought them in to settle the land in and to farm the land in central okay. because of the grain and they she she brought in a lot of those people she recognized the the, the work value ethic, of the land the work ethic and the the sure. the the efficiency of of the germanic uh, farmers okay. and brought many of them into that area um, there are also, uh, of course, you know, it was called the Pale of Settlement, if you remember that in history. Well, most people don't. I don't. Uh, P-A-L-E. And the word P-A-L-E has a couple of meanings. One of them means like a border post, like you would drive a marker okay. in the ground to mark your property borders, okay? Um and during various periods of time, 
the Jews as as uh, as depicted in one spot uh, with the fiddler on the roof, where they were driven out of Russia. Well, they were sent to Ukraine, and to and to Bela, present day Belarus. So did fiddler on the roof take place in Ukraine? Or? I think it took place up in in uh, in Russia, okay. and then they were sent. Further, but that was west. the deportation yeah. that they. That, but yeah. that was just one of many over many centuries. Right. Okay. Right. right. And of course, it's fiction. But that particular that movie, Fiddler was, on the Roof, is fiction. But but the actual, <laughs> the deportation but took a place. depiction yeah. of that event or that type of event gotcha. has a lot of historical yeah. truth to it. Yeah. And yeah. it happened over a many period of time. I mean, and actually, so is there a large Jewish population in Ukraine? That was, that's exactly right. If you look just below uh, Zhitomer there, you, it's written in Ukrainian, so you probably can't read it. Yeah, there's a, little, there's a, a town there of about 40,000 people. I've been there. It's called Berdichev. And just below the border there? Just below Zhitomer, mm-hmm. uh, just above the green part there. Mm. Kind of got a little mark there and says, yeah, yeah, yeah. looks like a backwards D. That's a B. <laughs> yeah. And, and and back in the time uh, when there was a lot prior to the Nazi invasion and all that and the concentration camps, uh, uh, they say, I was told, we, we went there and talked to a lot of people. And some of the people in authority down there said, yeah, at one time, we, 16% of the population was wow. Jewish. Wow. And so there are a lot of so they called that the pale of settlement, the okay. the, the okay. area or the border area of settlement, and up to five million Jews lived between uh, west of Kiev and to, to all the way over to where Poland is, and up into uh, Belarus. That was called the pale of settlement. Well, Bill, I, we're all aware of the war that's going on uh, Russia and Ukraine, and. And as we pray for them, we might pray just for some of the more obvious things. What are some of the less obvious things that you think we should be praying for as we pray for uh, this conflict that's going on? Well, it's interesting. We have our partners there in the Zhitoma region, and I know that there are many uh, uh, other uh, evangelical churches that are working. We have 30 partners that we work with, 30 different churches that we work with in our network. And they are all using the train and multiply make okay. and to, to, to uh, start new groups and things mm-hmm. like that. So uh, just before the war, uh, if we call it the year uh, prior to, uh, we, had 30, um, uh, we had 30 home groups. We had uh, seven new groups. We had 62 new conversions people coming to Christ through those groups, not counting what was going That's on in, in the home churches. Right. Okay. These are just in the home groups. We had uh, uh, 29 were baptized. Now, for Europe, you got to understand, this is not India. This right. is not the Philippines right, or where, where you right, get right. tens or thousands or whatever of people coming to Christ. Um, and this is just through the small groups. And... Um, uh, 160 of the people, uh, 265 people go to the, to those groups, uh, and then many of them are unbelievers. Of the 265, 105 are unbelievers. But but through the groups, they are learning. They're they're doing discovery Bible study. They're doing um, uh, times of prayer, and and uh, 
So people are coming to Christ. And so we have these churches that we need to pray for, not just if we're, we're what we're doing, but there are many, many churches. People have been displaced. Uh, not only have five million or more uh, have actually gone into Western Europe and elsewhere out of uh, uh, refugees going out, but anywhere from 20 to 30 million, they're saying, have been displaced elsewhere within within the country within the country mm. they've had to leave their area and go to another area somewhere safer for the moment kind yeah. of thing yeah so we need to pray for that we also need to pray for our russian brothers and sisters too because they are under a different kind of persecution maybe not physical but it's possible even that some of them uh, are being watched very closely and 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 some of them could be jailed or worse uh, in Russia, um, they, are, they are trying to preach the gospel and do. So we need to pray for both sides really here. Okay. Um, also, oh, I got reports of, of at least four of the people that we knew, we, we know personally that were from our network that were our refugees, ones in northern uh, Germany, one's in Denmark, one's in Sweden, one's in the wow. Netherlands. Wow. But you know what they're doing? They're doing ministry. <laughs> they're just not going there and, and looking for a handout. They're going yeah. wherever they go. I've gotten reports back that they're, that they're uh, doing translation work for the Ukrainian refugees for, for, a, for a pastor of churches That's great. in their area. And one was actually a, 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 like a district superintendent and he's up there visiting all these refugees in his area and his in his within his realm and and going to them and praying with them and helping them and one one up in Sweden uh staying with a Swedish family um she and her two daughters are um there's a there's a 12-year-old daughter of a, of the Swedish family that they've led to Christ now and taking her to Sunday school. <laughs> Man. Oh, that's fantastic. So, that's you know, great. they're not just over there. You yeah. know, I know it's it's a dire situation, but the people that we know who are Christians, um, and I'm sure there are many, many more that I don't know that are that are not just going over there and kind of with hat in hand and kind of crying all the time, but no, they are crying. They are crying. Yeah. And they want to go back yeah. home. They want to go back home. But but there, many of them are engaged in ministry, and I'm so proud of They're them. They're making use of their time. They yeah. are. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, such a story. That is fantastic. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, well, I, we are almost at one thirty. <laughs> oh well. So, is there anything else you uh, <laughs> you would like to to hit us with here at the very end? Before we sign off here, well, I'd like to apologize for taking so much time. No, we usually <laughs> no, no, go no. forever. We go for about an hour. Yeah, we so we just right, uh, we were just trying we're to fit your schedule. Your <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm already late, so you know. <laughs> gotcha. Well, uh, pray blame me. <laughs> uh, pray for Nancy and me. We are also displaced. We have a team uh, of eight. Uh, resident missionaries from OMS that were living in Kiev and ministering in Kiev, and they've had to to be evacuated. They were evacuated actually about a month ahead of the actually the right. war. So and they're in Budapest now, and, and most of them are in Budapest, and uh, they are working with humanitarian uh, supplies over there right now. And OMS has a project for that, 
and we are raising money, and they are actually just over just since the war began about about two months now um, we have already they have already delivered over a hundred and forty two thousand pounds of food and supplies wow, to the that's ukrainians awesome. that's great and what they go what they do is they they get the, the all the food and the supplies in two big vans and they drive three times a week out to the ukrainian border which is about three and a half hours away and then they go across into ukraine and there's a sort of a, a, a reception area there where they can deliver it and they can even sometimes specify, okay, please send some to this place, please some wow. to this place. And so we have gotten a lot of the supplies even to to Kharkiv, to those places that have been heavily uh, bombed. And so it's getting – it's not just getting across the border and then just sitting there. I mean it's getting into the country. <laughs> and then our, our partners in Zhutomer – they are taking their own personal vehicles and driving all the way to Poland, which is about twelve-hour drive, Man. and from where they live, and, and, and dodging bombs and bullets, <laughs> at least once a week, taking a van up there, getting food up there, and bring it in in to to Ukraine. Um, but also in in Budapest, we have a a, a center where. Uh, uh, Randy and Shelley Marshall are one of our, uh, uh, actually the field leader of Ukraine, of our right, OMS Ukraine. Right. They are um, uh, basically running the, the the reception center where when when our team would go to drop off food, they would pick up refugees and bring them back to Budapest. But there is one good thing. I would like to also thank the people of Europe. I mean. They have done such a tremendous job. And if you're in Europe, if you're a refugee, you can go anywhere in Europe on a train or a bus totally free of charge. Oh, wow. Really? That's very that? cool. My goodness. And, and there are people in, in all the European EU countries and NATO countries that are opening their arms. And I, I truly want to say this. I believe that because of their generosity, God is going to bless them. God is going to bless Western Europe. And I also think something else is going to happen. And I think it's already happening. Not only op are they open up their arms and giving physically, but I believe God is now touching them spiritually. Mm -hmm. And I foresee the potential that Europe could be revived by the gospel. <laughs> well, we'll send some over here afterwards, yeah, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> but that's it, awesome. But because of this, because people are opening up their homes, they're open. They're giving them food. They're giving them shelter. They're giving them, and and all of Europe is giving them transportation, and 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 they're taking in all these refugees, and and they're. I mean, God is going to have to bless that. I just believe yeah. he is. And I sense it's kind of like the, the, the diaspora uh, that happened in Jerusalem when, you know, everything blew up there in 70 A.D. with the, yeah. 
with the Roman army coming in. And what happened? The, the Christians and the Jews had to run to other places in the Middle East and Europe to get away from from that. And what happened? They just kept evangelizing they wherever kept they evangelizing went. They kept evangelizing wherever they went. <laughs> that is exactly what is happening now in Europe. How cool is that? That's so deep. So we can't forget about that. It's almost like a, a, sorry, random like mental picture here, but like almost like a dandelion. When you like blow the seeds off of it, they go and they plant more dandelions. <laughs> hey, that's, we ought to use that there and train go. a multiplier. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I could say a lot more, but um, I just want to, I, I want people to know that the Russian people are uh, not in control of this. Yeah. The average yeah. Russian and that we need to pray for them, and especially for the uh, Russian Christians who, who are trying to hold up the truth. They're still trying to preach the gospel. We need to pray. Uh, a lot of our um, people, our partners, are also taking food to the front. And they are also sitting back and making uh, protective vests for their soldiers and taking them supplies. Wow. Very cool. To the front, so they're the whole nation. They're, they're engaged. Yeah, yeah. that's it, a lot to be praying for. Uh, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's good. That's good. That that means uh, that means that God's people are at work, and uh, that I mean on both sides, and and that's uh, that's a good place. Yeah, to they're have. working on both sides. That's what's a matter. What's and and pray for Nancy and me because we. We are looking, okay, what are, God, how are we supposed to participate in this? How can we, we, at the moment, we can't physically get back into Ukraine. We're hoping maybe by the fall we may be able to make a quick run in and see, but, uh, you know, that's going to depend a lot on getting permission. Right. Not only right. from our government and their government, but from OMS, hmm. you know, because, you know, we have to be careful. Man. So, but we we have potential of looking into other areas of of the Slavic world, and now that they've been dispersed all over the place, that maybe we're there are places that God could send us. So, fantastic, but, awesome. Hey, Bill, thank you for coming on here and talking to us about your calling and what's going on in Ukraine and Russia and how we can be praying for them. And uh, it's been cool, cool to just listen and, and and learn a little bit because honestly, it's something I don't know what ton about. So this was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It was a privilege. Um, for any of you listening at home, uh, if you've got questions, you can send those into salty saints at becomehope.com or questions at becomehope.com. And until next time, stay salty. Hey friend, I'm Brooke McLaughlin, host of the Everyday Prayers Podcast, a ministry of million praying moms. And I'm here to invite you to partner with God for the hearts of your children on the daily. Our goal at Everyday Prayers is to help moms understand and pray God's word. Join us each weekday as we share insights from God's word for today's Christian mom. Tune in to the Everyday Prayers Podcast in your favorite app or by visiting lifeaudio.com.